VTTI is a fast-growing tank storage company. So basically, uh, the core uh, of our business there with Hendrik is we store uh, products, energy products, chemicals globally. We are building in uh, Tilburg now, here in the Netherlands, uh, a new uh, facility where we will be focusing on uh, renewable natural gas. So we will be making from, I would say, cow uh, manure, we will be making natural gas. If you look at the data there, it takes three cows for one household to have them on gas for a whole year. I always uh, believe also uh, that you work hard, you play hard, but also you have to have a heart. And my management style is like that. Uh, I'm passionate, I'm driven. For me, you always have to have fun in what you're doing. And if you have fun, you're passionate about what you're doing, uh, then things, I would say, the results will come, uh, will come as well. This is Siana TV. My name is Hendrik Dekkers. I'm here today with Hans Geurts, who is the CIO at VTTI. A very warm welcome, Hans. Thank you very much, Hendrik. Hans, you have a master's degree in IT and management from the Tilburg University. You have an MBA from the Business School Netherlands. And you have uh, several, you have followed several programs at INSEAD, at Cranfield, at IMB. Education is quite important uh, to you. You started your career in 97 as a consultant and then moved to Heineken uh, to work in IT. And you, afterwards, you had several IT director positions at Walters Kluber, at Verder International. And in 2020, you became the CIO of VTTI. So Hans, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you? What's your background? And how did you arrive in this position? Thank you very much, uh, Henrik. Also, uh, I'm really glad also that we could uh, now also meet in person. Eh? Mm -hmm. uh, and also maybe uh, the, the room is a little bit awkward here, but we are in a transition moving offices here in uh, Rotterdam head offices, which is the head office of VTTI. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned a long, I would say, history of uh, certificates and all kinds of other things. But for me, it's really important, the lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. uh, you never, I would say, stop learning. And that's for me a very important fact, not only for myself, for my team as well. Yeah. Uh, I always will ask them, push them also to uh, enhance also in their careers. Uh, still learning on that part. Yeah. And so you worked in large corporates like Heineken and also Walters is a big yeah. corporate. And now you work in a, in a mid-size and mid-cap uh, kind of uh, organization. Tell us a little bit more about VTTI. Yeah, so VTTI is a fast-growing tank storage company. Mm -hmm. uh, so some people uh, might know uh, Vopak, for example, in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the leading uh, companies. We are one of the fastest-growing uh, companies. Okay. So basically, uh, the core uh, of our business there with Hendrik is we store uh, products, energy products, chemicals uh, globally. Yep. So we are present in five regions. Mm -hmm. We have 18 terminals uh, globally where we store over 10,000 uh, uh, cubic meters of, I would say, our products uh, there. Yeah. And that's oil and gas uh, It's mainly? oil, gas, but also, uh, with, uh, we will talk later, mm -hmm. I think as well, about uh, the energy transition there, mm -hmm. uh, but also about renewable gas uh, and also hydrogen, yeah. uh, liquid gas, uh, for example. So it's not only oil and gas, but it's also all kinds of other products that are related to that. Yeah. So mid-sized company, around 1,300 people, I think. In, in Yeah, roughly 1,300. But like yeah. I said, we are fast growing. 
So uh, we have, I would say, small headed offices in, uh, in Rotterdam. Mm -hmm. And for the rest, uh, I would say, uh, we have uh, the people really uh, that are working at our terminals uh, there. So mid-sized company in storage of uh, energy products. Uh, what are the main drivers of change? We live in special times. But for your business here, what are the main drivers of change today? Yeah, so I think if you look at uh, the, the context there, it's uh, especially also the economic context there currently. Yeah? Uh, we're talking about uh, COVID times, for example. So one of the things that we did store is jet fuel. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine also due to COVID times when uh, people didn't fly, then uh, our jet fuel storage was not, I would say, uh, that high. Uh, yeah. Or it was high, but uh, we couldn't sell the product uh, there. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just one of the factors. The other factors as well, what you see now, what's very recent, of course, is also the Ukraine war. Mm -hmm. uh, where it's really important, there are various factors also that are influencing our industries. So, yeah. for example, the ban on Russian products, which is really important for us as well. Eh? So we yeah. cannot, uh, I would say, store uh, there also mm -hmm. products from uh, Russian origin which is, when we come back to the point of data, very important that you know where your products are and yeah. where your products uh, originated from. Uh, so there are several, I would say, economic uh, factors also that are influencing uh, the current, uh, yeah. current markets. And the other part, of course, is uh, the whole uh, energy transition. Eh? I think uh, with the climate change, everybody uh, has become of is very aware also uh, that we have to do something also about our current energy consumption. Yeah. And although we store, I would say, also fossil energy like oil and gas, yeah. we are really also making the change towards far more renewable energy sources. Yeah. And maybe last thing to say about that, uh, Hendrik, uh, all of our terminals, for example, are also equipped with solar panels. So really striving also to make them as energy efficient as yeah. possible. So sustainability is a change in, in, in energy uh, plans in the world, I would say, economic uh, situation that we're in with inflation, uh, war that is uh, just around the corner. Um, I mean, there's so many drivers of change, I can imagine. So that must have an impact on the business. But um, I, I know that one of the, uh, the, the programs that you've been working on is to make sure that your business is resilient enough. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, what do you mean with business resilience, uh, security and so on? Yeah. So maybe it's good, uh, Henrik, that I tell you a little bit uh, about also the history of VTTI, mm -hmm. uh, if I may, uh, yeah. there. Hey, VTTI is quite a young company. It was established in 2006 uh, by Rob Neist, uh, our CEO, a former also uh, Vopak uh, executive. Uh, so the company is from that perspective quite young. And at that moment, uh, I would say there was not really an IT organization at that time. Mm -hmm. So in 2012, uh, the current IT organization was established called iTank. So that was 2012. So uh, the, the whole IT organization was established then 10 years ago. Only very, yeah, yeah, very only recent. And yep. if you then ask also why was the need for change there, what you see is also that uh, we are quite an asset-heavy I would say company, yeah? Yeah. the oil and gas industry is quite asset heavy. So we are not a platform or a software company. We are, although we are delivering services, of course, yeah. we are, I would say, in the, in the industry like uh, utilities and manufacturing uh, like that. Um, and what you see is that a lot also of the IT estate, so our landscape, the software, the applications, everything we have, is also uh, backdated also from 2012 yeah. and earlier. Okay. So uh, the need for change was really also why 
I would say one of the main reasons also of onboarding a new CIO in 2020 to really make so a change. So only after eight years, it was already time to make a change and to go to the next level and professionalize and so on. Yes? Yeah. So I think uh, I'm, my reporting line here within VTTI is to the CFO. And mm -hmm. I think uh, many people uh, say something about, well, reporting to the CFO, you're only talking about money and then mm -hmm. uh, you're not talking about change. But I think I'm really thankful that uh, within VTTI, uh, the new CFO started also, I think one and a half, two years ago before uh, I started there. He's also called Hans, uh, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but he firmly believed also that if VTTI really want to grow, and also want to establish new businesses everywhere. You need also the digital and the capabilities and the technology to make that change. Yeah. And for him, that was also together with the leadership team within VTGI, I think really uh, on top of their mind also that they wanted to change from, I would say, keeping the lights on, keeping everything running, eh? because it was running. It was yeah. not that there was something wrong there, mm -hmm. but really to make the next step uh, to take, I would say, uh, technology, advancing food technology, we call it. Yeah. Okay. And so that means that you had to put in systems uh, to make the, both, I understand, IT and OT more secure. Is that one of the main focus of the yeah. program? Yeah. So one of the really the specifics, I would say, when uh, when I went also from Heineck to WorldSclue, WorldSclue was really into the software businesses. Mm -hmm. eh? So we made that a transition from 80% print to really 80% digital services there. So that was really, I would say, a platform, a software company. Yeah. But then when I went to further, which is a pump manufacturer and now within VTTI, uh, you really have a blend in the, uh, the infrastructure, so to say. So you have the operational technology, which yeah. has to do with pumps, valves, everything you need to operate your terminal. Yeah. And you have the IT part. Some people just think IT is your laptop and some of the commodities and that the we have. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I would say it's really important uh, that those worlds come together. Yep. Uh, we, uh, we call it also the convergence between OT and IT. Yep. But especially with a VTI, you see that in other manufacturing companies as well, traditional the OT was also being governed and I would say by the operations team and the IT part also by a different team. And they didn't know each other. They did, really didn't know each other. They didn't know the capabilities. They were, I would say, really capable people, but on their distinctive areas. Yeah. And what you see now is for all kinds of reasons, if you have your new assets, if you buy new assets, suddenly your pump is becoming smart. Yeah. What does that mean, becoming smart? And then you see also, yeah, if a pump is able also to connect to the internet, a whole variety of, I would say, possibilities. Yeah come, I would say, uh, to the table. But on the other hand, also a whole lot of threats. Because if you can send out data, somebody can also tap into the data or to yeah. tap into the pump. And then we come back also to resilient operations, uh, Hendrik. Yeah. And so that means that you had to make a step in making the pumps and the IT system, bringing that to the next level of, of, of security? Yeah, and not only the security, I think uh, you asked uh, there also what it takes also uh, to be, I would say, in the forefront of dig digital and technology advancements. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really also bringing those, I would say, separate teams together yeah. uh, because they were really siloed within the company, within this company they were as well. So I'm working closely also together with my operations uh, colleague, uh, the director there, making sure the people understand each other languages as well, because yeah. they are different languages. 
And OT systems, for example, uh, Hendrik, they last 30, 50 years maybe. Yeah. It's a complete different lifespan than when you look at your IT assets. Oh, yeah. And so blending those worlds is really different uh, from those perspectives uh, as well. So it's different languages, different life cycles, yeah. uh, many, many different things. So how do you, how do you, you do that? How do you, how are you making sure that the two teams really collaborate better? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, it's really about engaging and inspiring the people also, what is, I would say, available, what's out there. Mm -hmm. Because what you see a lot of times also, that the people are being used to work in a certain way, with a certain habit. Yeah. Um, and uh, you do not unlock that potential, I would say, very easily if you do not show how you can advance there as well. Because if something is working, why should you change it? Yeah. Well, and this is really, I think, we were helped here with some, I would say, really bad examples, because we talked about economic downturn and uh, the war also in Ukraine. Don't forget there was a cyber war going on as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we all, I would say, remember, in at least in our IT space, uh, what happened to Maersk, uh, I would say, quite some years ago, mm -hmm. where they were hit with APM terminals. They were out of business for, I would say, four weeks. Wow. And they had a total of 10 billion, I would say, damage, uh, totally brand damage, supply chain damage. They had to renew 40,000 of their computers. So that was really what was happening, I would say, in our space there. And more recently, there was Colonial Pipeline. Mm -hmm. And they were attacked also by a remote connection that was uh, being hacked uh, there. And they had to pay $4.5 uh, million dollars of uh, ransomware. Yeah. Although they were forced, they did that. Yeah. Um, so that suddenly, I would say, made also the board and all that committee here at VTGI very aware as well so what do you do with that? Yeah. So I think that the conversation that we have in the board meetings and audit committee meetings really uh, reversed there as well. So looking at what's your risk profile, what are the main risks and what are you doing about that? Yeah. So all of a sudden the awareness for cyber risk, ransomware attacks and so on, that, that was there because uh, there was a, 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 another company in the portfolio of, of, yeah. of your uh, in investors yeah. that had that. So, so how was the, and then how was that implemented? How did you go about that? Yeah. So I think there was always awareness uh, there, mm -hmm. Hendrik, but uh, this now it really surfaced also that it must be more clear also how much effort do you put in that. Mm -hmm. And this is really a difficult part because I would say cybersecurity and raising your resilience, like we call it there, mm -hmm. Uh, is not something where you have a business case for it. Because you cannot just say, if I, uh, for example, if I invest one million, are you then safer than when you invest three million? No. It's really depending. It's like insurance. Yeah, it's really depending then yeah. also where do you see the risk within your uh, within yeah. your company. Uh, mm -hmm. now. Could you give us an, a couple of examples on how you raised uh, the uh, the resilience here? Yeah, uh, happy to do so, uh, Hendrik. I think. Uh, First of all, you know, I entered VTTI as uh, the new CEO in 2020. Mm -hmm. I was onboarded in COVID time. So yep. literally also you were sitting behind your desk and then you're thankful that uh, all the technology is working for you, that yep. you can reach outside the total world uh, there as well, because we mm -hmm. were not allowed to get into the offices. So then you have to find also out what are really, I would say, the key strategic themes for the firm. Mm -hmm. But what is also, from an IT perspective, what are really the major focus areas that you have? Yeah. Well, security was one of them. Yeah. And to be very honest, first it was mainly focused also on the IT part. So how do you make sure also that 
all the spam, the spoofing, and all kinds of things, eh, that your CEO is not being hacked, yep. that people do not click on links, uh, so that, uh, I would say, your files are being encrypted. Mm -hmm. So that was raising the bar on the IT security part. Yep. But for that, you need a security team. Yep. So I looked, what was the security team? And to be very honest as well there, uh, we had one external uh, <laughs> cybersecurity officer that was hired, and that was the security team. Wow. Well, and you know also, you can just do uh, so much if you have a one-man army. Yeah. Um, so that was really important there, that we first understood as well, what are the main risks that we see also in our businesses? What are the main risks that we see within our current businesses as well? Yeah. And where do we need to improve? Well, in the improvement there, which I saw also was on various levels. It was on the people, the capabilities part. You need people to do yeah. something. It was on the technology part. How do you make sure that your systems are, I would say, also up to date? So I'll give you a very small example there. Your systems have to be up to date with the latest patches. Yeah. So you know the log 4 j example there that uh, every website was using. If you didn't patch your systems, I would say, with recent uh, patches for mm -hmm. the vulnerabilities, uh, then your systems are at risk. Yeah. So it's a whole, I would say, sequence of things that you have to do on having the people on board, having the processes uh, in place also. Yeah. And if something happens, that you're really able also to respond. Yeah. Now, cybersecurity has to do with awareness, top-down, and uh, has to do with technology, but also has to do with behavior of people. Yeah. So how did you work on that uh, part? Yeah. Uh, it's a very good uh, remark there, Hendrik, because we always say also, uh, maybe people that are not in the IT would say, uh, it's mainly about technology when you mm -hmm. talk about cybersecurity. On our end, we will always say it's 90% behavior, it's 10% technology. Mm -hmm. So that's the most important part. Yeah. So it's creating awareness. So what, we, what I did, for example, with the leadership team, we did one cyber simulation tests mm -hmm. with, the, with the leadership team. Yeah. So we created an environment also uh, where we simulated a cyber attack, and then the whole leadership team also had to act upon that. So who do we call? How do we make sure that uh, our operations uh, can still be running? And then we had all kinds of external, I would say, actors also that were calling, pretending to be the media, and how to do that. So we had to do, I would say, a whole lot of things there. And then you saw also that the team was quite well uh, equipped to do that. And that's also because in our terminal business, we were used also to deal with health, safety, and environment yep. uh, issues. Yep. So if we have a spill somewhere, which hopefully doesn't, uh, mm -hmm. uh, is not the case, then you see also that at the terminal, everybody is drilled what to do. Yep. Everybody knows what to do. There's already a discipline around disaster and, and, and recovery and follow-up. Yeah. But that discipline had also to be applied also to the case of a cyber attack. Yep. And I think that worked quite well, but this is a continuous cycle of awareness where we do global, I would say, trainings for all of our people there. Really important uh, also to keep uh, the knowledge up to date, that people are aware if they see something happening there. Yeah. So Hans, why do you find building the business resilience as one of your uh, main accomplishments that you've, you and the teams have uh, accomplished here over the last uh, year or so? Yeah. So I think uh, you made a really good phrase there, business resilience, eh? mm -hmm. because it's not only about IT or OT resilience. If you talk about resilience, it's also about hardening your operations. So yeah. if something is happening, you are aware of what happened. And then if it happens also, how can you then really recover very yeah. fast? Um, 
And you know, uh, maybe it's not so sexy as uh, the next data science project or the next innovation, but be aware, eh, if your operations in our terminals are not running, and we are a 24 by 7, 365 business, then I would say there is no business model at all. So the resilience there is also to put in place the right measures there that we are protected with towards everything what's happening to the outside world yeah. and uh, that's coming towards us. So therefore, I'm really proud also about all the things that the team did put in place also there to make sure that if something happens also mm -hmm. that we can quickly react, that we can monitor it. Yeah. And that is not easy. Eh? With, uh, I would say you said also my team is about 70 people uh, mm -hmm. there, but you can imagine if you have to cover, cover five regions 24 by 7 and people have to monitor the systems, uh, I would say, minute by minute, yep. then you need quite a large team. Yep. Hans, is there a way to measure your overall IT and business resilience? Are there frameworks that you use, uh, maturity models that you use? That, that helps you to, to grow in that, uh, yeah. in that area? Yeah. To be, to be clear there also, I'm not so fond of the maturity models as such. They mm -hmm. make it clear also that you're not so mature and then you say, I'm now at stage one and I want to go to three or four. Yeah. So that makes, I would say, more budget available to yourself. For me, it's more important that we really uh, look also where are our risk areas and what can we do about that. But of course, we use the models. Eh? So one of them in the cybersecurity well-known is the NIST framework, mm -hmm. where you also identify also what are the risks. You monitor there. Mm -hmm. If something happens also, you can react quickly, yeah. and then you can recover also what you have. So that's a well-known, uh, I would because say. Because quick recovery is very, very important. Right? Quick recovery, fair, yeah. yeah. And that's also important. there where we had the discussion also. If you pay ransomware, then you can quickly recover. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the way you want to go because oh. that uh, opens a whole lot of uh, yeah. I would say other difficulties uh, okay. there as well. Now let's change topic and let's talk about how you are um, reorganizing together with the, with the teams here at VTTI to become a more data-driven company. Yeah. So what was the issue when you started at this and, and how are you attacking it? Yeah. Um, like I said, also when I started in 2020, you look always, I would say, as a new uh, newbie uh, there. Also, what's the business all about? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the, our core uh, business processes? Uh, what do we need? And one of the, uh, uh, I would say, the challenges that we had was there also that we are building our own terminal management system. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of an ERP uh, for the world, but then yep. in our in our own business. And what you saw is that we are using a lot of data also into that system, but we're missing also a lot of data. And uh, the problem there, uh, what you saw, uh, Enric, is that we had so many different sources of data within the company. And I would say it was already in 2017 that The Economist wrote also an article about that data would be the new oil. Yeah. Um, so everybody understood there is something with data that you need to, to get out. Um, but if you then asked also within VTGI, which is basically also a quite decentralized company, which data do we use? Then you see that it was a lot of financial data that mm -hmm. we used at headquarters for consolidation, uh, yep. of course. And on the terminal side, really to be operational efficient. But if you do that in a decentralized way with different systems, you can imagine also that you have many sources of data, but not one source of truth. Yep. Um, and then it became really apparent for myself as well that if you're really looking at data and not only the data, but really the information that you need as a company, 
that there was really a lot of unlocked potential in that, yep. uh, in that part. So basically what I, what I did there uh, with the team, we didn't have any data or data science team uh, there mm -hmm. when I started there, like for security. Yep. Um, so I just started uh, with, uh, we have a beautiful young leadership uh, program within VTTI where we look for new talent also within the company mm -hmm. Uh, and then helping them also to uh, to thrive and to prosper within the company itself. And one of the youngsters there, um, he had really an interest in data. So I made him the data project lead uh, there yeah. to identify really the use cases within the company. Uh, which use case do we have for data? Being it financial, being it in operations, being it for our customers. And he really started with a very small team uh, with two internal uh, mm -hmm. uh, guys there that we really took out of their current work and we really make a data team that was solely, I would say, focusing also, yeah. how do we get to the data? So that was one part, getting the people on board, getting there the capabilities. Yeah. And then I'm really proud also on the, the, I would say for my part, the, the technology that we built. So we really there, I would say, we, we really bought the newest technology there to build a, da a virtual data warehouse, mm -hmm. which we're doing with our partner, uh, the Nodo. I do not, know, do not do sure. this for marketing reasons, but I'm really, I would say, fond uh, of that part, where we really made a virtual data layer on top of all those different sources mm -hmm. and connected that to the virtual data layer. And that, with that data layer, you can present then all kinds of dashboarding. We do that in Power BI, for mm -hmm. example, towards uh, all of our, uh, our stakeholders there. So it, it served several, I would say, purposes there. We really simplified the landscape mm -hmm. because we had all reporting tools that you can imagine we had within the business. So I would say we standardized on that part. Yep. And then for the data perspective, we now get also tap into the various data sources that were not available before. Yep. So that's just the first stage, eh, Andrik? Yeah, it's, it's creating the infrastructure. Yeah. But it's a virtual data lake, lake then, or it's, it's... Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And that's really, really nice. Eh? So we looked at new technologies like Snowflake, which is eh, the new company of Frank Sloopman, the former mm -hmm. CEO of ServiceNow, we, where we are looking at also what are now new database technologies that can mm -hmm. help us. And that's yep. the beauty of having, I would say, a little bit smaller company yep because we don't have to uh, debate also those kinds of decisions uh, for months with uh, enterprise architects. If we yeah. find it's a good idea, then we pursue the good okay. idea. So you selected your platform for data, you selected your tools for, for BI and analytics. That, give us a couple of examples of, 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 of use cases, the first and, and, and most interesting use cases that you have attacked. Yeah. So I gave you the example that we are quite an asset-heavy uh, mm -hmm. company there. Eh? So we invest a lot also uh, within our terminals, but also on maintenance. And mm -hmm. one of the use cases that we have is also how much do we invest in specific, uh, specific materials or at certain equipment uh, at terminals. Mm -hmm. So before that, we have there a system for, it's uh, in our maintenance systems. Uh, it's called Ultimo for those that uh, might be aware. But that was always in that system and it didn't have a link towards the financial system. Yeah. So what we did, for example, with our virtual data warehouse, we connected the OT asset to the financial, uh, I mm -hmm. would say, uh, to the maintenance data that we had. And now we can see globally also, how much do we invest in maintenance for a certain type of pumps, valves, uh, maintenance on terminals, painting, 
I would say those kinds of things, and we can yeah. compare. We can compare best in class versus worst in class. We see the outliers. So the use case there is really how can we be more efficient in our maintenance? And that's only the current maintenance, yeah. because you already know then also the next step will be that we will be looking at predictive maintenance. Yeah. So looking then also for if there is a pump or a valve that's not behaving properly, which yeah. shows the data, that we then also know, well, there's something wrong and we, we need to repair that. Hans, could you give a second example of, of how your strategy to become more data-driven as an organization has uh, already paid off? Yeah. Um, well, it's also about, I would say, the awareness there as well, Hendrik. Eh? Mm -hmm. So on the one part, uh, I, we talked about the technology, eh? that we have all kinds of new technology that tap into the data. Yeah. But what you see also, it's also a leadership journey, because a lot of, I would say, the management will say, well, we have a lot of data already available. Yeah. Uh, but if you know also how many people are busy also with aggregating that data in Excel sheets within yeah. their current businesses. So there's a lot of potential value also in automating all those processes and getting, I would say, the data there readily available. Mm -hmm. But then you come to the second challenge as well, that if you have enormous amounts of data, you have too much data. So there's really, you, you must know also what's really the valuable data. Yeah. And then you also come to the challenge there also is the quality of the data. Yeah, data, data governance in general is a very important topic. So eh? what you see now is appearing there as well. If we have, for example, uh, we have not so many products, but if you define 16 product types mm -hmm. and then the data shows that you have over 100, <laughs> then uh, something I would say is not wrong, yeah. but maybe somebody subcategorized it in a different way. Yeah. And then suddenly the data shows there as well eh, that you also have to harmonize the data. So part of the data journey becoming from, I would say, more insight driven as well to action driven based on the data makes also people really thinking then about, well, we really have to do something on the quality. And that's yep. much of the times it's also about how is the data being input in the, in the system uh, there as well. Yep. So it's not so much, I would say, the, 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 the second or the third use case there, but what you see in that journey that people are becoming much more aware, what is, I would say, the potential value of data, but are, what are really also challenges there. Yep. And, and starting to understand and appreciate the, the, the value of a, of, of a unique data model and, 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 and an enterprise data model, which is so important, no? Yeah, and you can imagine, eh? so uh, like I said, VTGI established in 2006 mm -hmm. and also grown also quite decentrally. Yeah. So if you have, I would say, independent terminals uh, as such, and yeah. then suddenly you want to aggregate the data also on higher levels there, yeah. that you then have a lot, I would say, to do also to harmonize and standardize that. Yeah. And that's really, for me, I would say, the beauty of the journey as well, that you have to bring the people together, you have to bring yeah. the technology together, and you have to bring, I would say, to speak the same language there. Yeah. So what is the benefit of the data that we have? Now, Hans, business uh, society in general is going through a major transition. Uh, where uh, fossil fuels, we need to fade them out to, uh, in, in favor of more renewable and, 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 and greener uh, energy sources. So the overall sustainability of, of, of the planet is so, so important. And with VTDI, you're in the middle of this because you're storing a lot of uh, energy sources in, in, in different formats. So Tell us a little bit the, the impact of this big change in uh, sustainability ESG programs. How does that translate in, in, in business challenges and IT challenges here in VTTI? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you rightfully say also that there was a lot of change going on there. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people also say, well, why do we still need, for example, the fossil fuels, oil and gas? But you know also, if you look at it from a global perspective, uh, I would say we not always have alternatives for mm -hmm. that. So we are really in a transition there. Like yeah. I said, we store oil and gas, but also renewable energies. Yeah. So one of our examples here is we are building in uh, Tilburg now, here in the Netherlands, uh, a new uh, facility mm -hmm. where we will be uh, focusing on uh, renewable natural gas. So we will be making from, I would say, cow uh, manure, mm -hmm. we will be making natural gas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you look at the data there, it takes three cows to, I would say, for one household to have them on gas for a whole year. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's quite sustainable. So we know also that our business to become more sustainable, we also shift our focus to more renewable energies, hydrogen, mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things. If you look at it from an IT perspective, of course, we can really help there also accelerating that transition mm -hmm. as well. So ESG is also a very broad topic. Eh? Yep. We are also being forced, I would say, by all kinds of law and regulations to report out on ESG. Yeah. So and and by your clients as well, I think, that they put on certain uh, yeah. regulations in place. Absolutely. And of course, it's also for ourselves eh, to be more efficient as well. We yep. also want to know what are our CO2 emissions, what's our energy consumptions, yep. to know also how can we lower that uh, yep. to become, I would say, more efficient uh, there. And that's where I would say technology also kicks in. Mm -hmm. uh, we can measure, I would say, the CO2 emission, we can measure our energy consumption, water consumption, all those kinds of yep. things. But you have to connect that. And that's where I would say the beautiful world of IoT, eh? Internet of Things, yep. connected things uh, come together. And that's where we play a major role. So that's also for ESG. Um, already one and a half year ago, we appointed also uh, an ESG officer within VTGI, somebody that's really focused on ESG. Yep. And I'm working with him very much together also. How can we get all the crucial data that we need for the ESG, not only for the reporting, yeah. but also for the business itself. How do we get that? And maybe the last example uh, there, uh, Hendrik, we are now looking also at uh, our equipment, buying new hardware, also looking there, what are now, what's now equipment from which manufacturer that is also made from materials that can be reused, mm -hmm. that can be easily repaired, and that have a low energy consumption because there's a whole lot difference between the different uh, suppliers yep. there as well. Okay. Now, Hans, you are clearly a, um, quite a fan of VTTI. I can uh, sense that in the way that you talk about the company. So what is, what is, so, what is special about the company that attracts you to, to be here and to, to stay here and to be create a success here? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I keep smiling here because um, I'm really a little bit more, I would say, advanced in my career. And then you also mm -hmm. appreciate also within life, but also within your businesses, what's really unique in uh, the company that you're working in. Yeah. And I have several examples within my life where I started. Uh, you start, I started as a consultant, that was at BSO Origin, mm -hmm. where Eckhart Winston was at that moment also, uh, I would say, the CEO. Already. He would never have called himself CEO uh, for that part. But that is really a special place in my heart as well, because mm -hmm. those were people that are really, I would say, engaged with the people uh, and also want to progress with the company for all other kinds of purposes as well. Yeah. And I see the same thing here within VTTI. Mm -hmm. It's a family culture and we put people first. And that's not, I would say, a lot of companies would have that in their banner that they have. people are the most important mm -hmm. asset. 
but here, especially also with Rob uh, and his leadership team, they really care. Uh, and that is really something really special uh, yeah. if you look at that. So there's a special culture here that, that comes from the origin of being a family-owned uh, business. How would you describe the management style in general here? And how would you describe your management style? How do you yeah. uh, create uh, successful teams and how do you want your leadership team to, to manage their, uh, their teams? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned family-owned. I would say it's not family-owned. It's more, I would say, the family culture that okay. we have eh? because yep. we are, I would say, yeah. we have our shareholders uh, in place. So mm -hmm. as such, we are not a family-owned uh, company, but they really have that family uh, culture there as well. So yep. I think it's very engaging, inspiring. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also enormous entrepreneurial. Okay. And that has enormous benefits because we are, if we want to achieve something, uh, we will go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other problem that comes with that is also it's quite ad hoc and not so structured mm -hmm. the way we do it like that. Yeah. So what you see is also that we are in a transition there. We don't want to be a big corporate because yeah. then you have the bureaucracy, all the layers. We don't want to have that. We want to have a flat organization. Mm -hmm. We want to act quickly. Yeah. But on the other hand, we must be more structured, more organized. Yeah. And if you look that from a leadership example, uh, I always uh, believe also uh, that you work hard, you play hard, but also you have to have a heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and my management style is like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm passionate, I'm driven. I expect that from all my people yeah. uh, to be that. Maybe not so much uh, always, uh, but for me, uh, you always have to have fun in what you're doing. Uh, and if you have fun, you're passionate about what you're doing, uh, then things, I would say, the results will come uh, will come as well. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about your uh, IT organization. It's around 70 people uh, you shared with us. So um, how is it how is it organized? Or what's the what's your vision on the IT operating model here in VTTI for uh, for IT? Yeah. If you looked when I was on board in 2020, Hendrik, I would say we were quite a traditional IT organization. Mm -hmm. So we just, uh, I would say we didn't have uh, the technical management, the functional management like 20, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. but it would still be a service desk operations and uh, some, I would say, development activities. Mm -hmm. um, and what we did over the past two years, and we are just, I would say, on the beginning of that journey, is introducing far more agile ways of working mm -hmm. for, I would say, the development teams. Like I said, we are developing our own terminal management system. Mm -hmm. um, but you can only do that if you really know also what's the business about. So the people there, they're working uh, with product owners now, agile teams, where also security is part of it because that has to be incorporated yeah. from the beginning. Automated testing was not existing, I would say, a few years ago. So we're focusing on that as well. Yeah. So we do everything to be more scalable and more predictable in that, uh, in that sense. And if you ask me the vision there, um, it will take still take time there. But I believe far more in business and IT integration. When I came on board here, uh, people would say, well, there you have Hans from IT. And then I said, well, and what's then Hans <laughs> from IT expected to do, uh, except from, I would say, making your uh, laptop uh, to work? Uh, I think uh, digital is in the veins of the company yep. and should be also integrated in that way in the business. So we're not there yet, uh, Hendrik. We are still, yep. I would say, quite traditional with operations, uh, the development team, still more agile ways of working, yep. but we're tapping more and more into the specific business parts as well with the okay. teams. So you're changing the operating model, becoming more uh, uh, agile in the way of working. 
You've uh, invested in, uh, in security, cybersecurity, resilience. You invested in data and becoming more data-driven, having a, a team and, and, and investing in awareness around the potential of that as well. Where are you in the cloud journey? Is that an important thing yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah, and that's really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling again, eh? because if uh, working for Heineken, also Walt Kluwer, for example, the cloud journey was there already, uh, I would say I was in the midst of that already, we already had uh, everything in the cloud. Yeah. And when I came on board here, to be uh, clear there as well, I think 95% of our state are in two of the, our data centers, oh, yeah. still. So it was quite, I would say, shocking for me that we were still running a, a Citrix VDI environment uh, there with all kinds of, um, yeah, I would say technology that did work, but were not, I would say, not state state of the art, yeah. I, would, I would expect it uh, to be uh, yep. there. Uh, so what we do now, it's very simple, I would say. Everything what we buy new uh, is there as a service or uh, mm -hmm. will be running in the cloud. Uh, we did build our own landing zones within uh, the Azure cloud there. So everything that we currently have, we will transition uh, to the cloud uh, there as well. But it's quite a journey. Mm -hmm. So together with uh, the IT operations director and his team, we set out, I would say, a roadmap for that uh, for the coming two and a half, three years. Yeah. So we made it very clear to the management team as well. Our aim is to close our data centers in two and a half, three years. Yeah. We will do that. We will move everything we have to the cloud. And that's for all kinds of reasons. And yeah, you've talked to many IT leaders, they will all say it's more secure, it's more scalable. I do not so much know if it's more cost effective. I, 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 I probably would, not. I would doubt that, <laughs> but that's, I also made that to the management team very clear. Yeah. If you ask me, is it cheaper? Then I said, well, it might be in the end not cheaper. Mm -hmm. But now I have still people that are driving into their car, going to the data center to make backups yeah. and then uh, putting them back. Uh, come on, that's not, I would say, where you want to be. You was just want to spin off, uh, yep. I would say, capacity, and then you want to be quick and you want to accelerate. Yeah. Hans, you're now uh, two years in this job, yep. since uh, 2020. Uh, how do you look at, at fundamentally your role? What was your role when you started here? What's fundamentally your role today? And where do you spend most of your time? Yeah, I think Fiji did quite a good job also in uh, identifying the profile for what they needed there. Mm -hmm. So they needed somebody also that would help Fiji accelerating uh, also mm -hmm. and also in the digital era. Um, so I still see still myself uh, there, Hendrik, also as the enabler, mm -hmm. as somebody that can explain also to leadership teams also in more layman terms also, what technology is about, how you can advance through technology, what are the benefits, uh, and then helping also build the capabilities that you need, and then mm -hmm. drive the teams also together there with a vision, because I think we have a very clear dot on the horizon where we want to be, uh, and if you make your teams clear also there, then it's not so much how to get there, mm -hmm. but it's really about inspiring them to get there. Yeah. So you can imagine if you have 95% of your estate still in your data centers, that you have a lot of people that are still working in old ways, uh, maintaining also that yep. infrastructure. So making the leap to the cloud yep. is really not something, it's not a small step. Yep. It's like Armstrong would say, it's a huge step uh, for uh, humanity there. <laughs> and I was Neil Armstrong, not, uh, not Lance. <laughs> no, no. But Lance, we come back to the cycling and uh, maybe as well. Uh, there. So, I mean, you've, you've been around in this, in this business for quite uh, a number of years. You worked uh, for several companies. You worked for CIOs. You're a CIO yourself now. 
how have you seen the role of the CIO change? Yeah. 10 years ago, how, what is a typical uh, role of a CIO today? And how do you see it in the future? Where do you see CIOs going in the, in the future? Yeah, um, I think that has changed a lot and uh, also has not changed a lot. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in my journey at Heineken, I think I reported to at least four CIOs, and most of them were hammered also because of failed ERP implementations. Mm -hmm. And once again, here within VTTI, uh, I have a huge challenge with implementing an ERP system. So how far have we come, I would say, <laughs> 20 years uh, after uh, Hendrik? Um, so that said, also, some things do not change. On the other hand, I see a lot of things changing because the discussions and also the meeting I have with the board or audit committee, yeah. Um, you are really seen there also as more as a peer also to discuss about digital challenges, either yeah. it being cybersecurity or data. How can we reach our customers better? How can we make our uh, operations more efficient? Mm -hmm. So you really at the table there also to discuss those topics. Yeah. And I would say in the past, you would far more been seen also as not as an enabler, but I would say as the cost center yeah. there for the firm. Uh, and not, uh, I would say, as a function that could deliver value and drive business performance. Yep. And I think that has hugely changed. So some things have not changed. You will still, I would say, if the technology doesn't work, yep. uh, your license to operate is still not there. Uh, on the other hand, I see there um, in almost every executive mind, they know also that digital is important and they also have to educate themselves on digital. And there we still have, I would say, quite some challenges okay. to overcome. You also talked about ERP being a challenge. Yeah. What's the, what's the challenge there uh, at the moment? Yeah, I think with, with every ERP or every big IT project also, um, the amount of change is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, I think before when I was on board there, it was really seen also as an IT system that would drive change. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I've seen it always going wrong. Uh, if IT only is driving the change with the technology, yep. it will not work. And yep. that's very easily said. Uh, but when I started here, I said as well, it's a business transformation. If yep. we do not believe that we also have to change business processes, ownership on the business part, working together there is important, yep. then we implement an IT system. Um, but then we will implement at least 18 different IT systems within this company if we do it like that. So the challenge there is really how do you drive also more harmonization and standardization without losing, I would say, local flexibility yep. on the global level. And that is finding the sweet spot there has always been, I would say, yeah, my main challenge. It's not an easy thing. Are you an SAP shop? No, 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 no. We are building our own uh, ERP system. Based uh, on the Oracle Apex, so it's uh, on top of it's like Mendix or OutSystems. Uh, okay. Although they would argue it's different, <laughs> uh, but I would say it's uh, more kind of a low-code platform. So the the challenge is there also finding the right people. For example, how do you find the scarce resources that you need uh, there? How do you make sure that the complexity of your code? Eh? I think Daniel Gabler, CTO of Picnic, always will say. Uh, complexity starts with the first line of code that you would write. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've written, I would say, millions of lines of code. So how do you still make sure that that is simple and uh, maintainable? Hans, one of my favorite questions in these uh, interviews is, um, is the following. If I would go to your team, you're here now for two years, and I would talk to them with you not being present, 
and I would ask them about who, how you function as a leader. What, what do you think they will say about you? I think there will be uh, a few uh, common themes that they will all, uh, I would say, uh, come with uh, Hendrik. I would say it's about commitment, mm -hmm. it's about passion, uh, it's also about drive. Mm -hmm. And the drive is also for results, uh, but not relentless. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really important there. I think in the past also, if you look at your journey as uh, a leader yourself, you also know, uh, I always make the example with Van Heineken, you have the management developers several leadership levels as well there, where at the end they will ask you also, are you the leader you dream to be? Mm -hmm. uh, and I will never stop, I would say, dreaming about that part. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really important that you recognize also that you have to take the people with you. Uh, but uh, for that, I would say the commitment, the drive is really important, but also the passion. I have a passion for, I would say, making companies more digital savvy and using digital. Um, but I have also a passion that uh, really you can convey people that have not maybe also a digital background, yep. uh, how to work with that. Um, and I hope also the team will say that um, uh, wherever I am, they always can call me uh, or reach out to me if they need help. Okay. Now let's see what psychology says about you. You have shared with us your MBTI profile, which is ENTJ. Uh, so also known as a commander, and that is somebody who is extroverted, intuitive thinking, and has uh, more judging personality traits. And uh, commanders, they are decisive people who love momentum and accomplishment. We talked about that. They gather information to construct their creative visions, but they rarely hesitate long before acting on them. The strengths of people with your profile uh, is that they are efficient, energetic, self-confident, strong-willed, that they are strategic thinkers, charismatic and inspiring. Does that fit the bill for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, it's, it's really a lot, um, but I think it's indeed uh, true for that part. Eh? The only part is there where people would say also the E is also being about extrovert versus mm -hmm. an introvert. Um, I think I cherish both of them because okay. I always like also, I think those times as well, eh, when you, you're working in a hybrid environment, sometimes you can also work at home. You can contemplate a little bit more yep. also about yourself and the way of working. Uh, so I like the balance there. And I think in the work myself, I'm a little bit more extroverted because mm -hmm. you know also um, if you are performing in leadership teams, yep. everybody has to have his stake on the table uh, there as well. Uh, so that part uh, is important, uh, I would say, to balance uh, yep. out as well. And then uh, that's all about, uh, I would say, the good parts. And then if you talk also about the weaknesses... We'll, we'll come to that in a no, moment. You'll so. you come to that, uh, Henrik. So, but this is a profile that, that likes to take the lead in things yep. and, and likes to, uh, to, uh, to take a team forward. Yeah. Weaknesses. Let's call them development areas. Yeah. Hans, of people with your profile is that people with your profile can be very stubborn. They can be dominant, intolerant sometimes. They can be impatient, arrogant. Sometimes they handle emotions poorly. They can be cold and ruthless. Yeah. Where do you recognize yourself and how have you developed in that area? Yeah. Because you can't be cold and ruthless and be a good, uh, and be a good CIO, for instance. Yeah. No, so I would say I recognize also all of those parts, uh, mm -hmm. Hendrik. And I would say... Uh, some of them have softened over the years uh, as well, eh? because mm -hmm. you also know you, you can judge 
but uh, you also have to be reflective uh, on those uh, parts mm -hmm. as well. And maybe you started also the story about uh, a lot of things uh, that uh, I did within uh, my career as well. And one of them was really uh, uh, eye-opening for that one was also when I was at IMD. That was High Performance Leadership by uh, Professor Koerise. And uh, he did also write a book about uh, being held hostage. And that was about being held hostage by yourself. And so what are you really your true beliefs? Uh, how do you act? Why do you act in the mm -hmm. way that you, uh, that you do? Um, and that was really something that changed there as well. If you really look at yourself also, what's withholding you, reaching you, I would say, your full potential uh, yeah. there as well. Then you know that by being judge, uh, judgmental or I would say judgmental or intolerant, mm -hmm. uh, that might be traits that you have yourself, but that doesn't help you also yeah. in your life and in your work. So they are still, I would say, an inherent part also of who I am. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I would say, quite uh, keen on also uh, observing also how do you really use that also in a more, yep. a more or in a better way. And how do you work on that? I mean, how have you developed? Can you give an example of how you become more people-oriented, I, I, yep. I more relationship-oriented and, and not only pure results and... Uh, Fact. Yeah, that's something I still have to work on uh, there. Mm -hmm. right? So I give you, I gave you the example of my wife, for example. She's far more empathetic than I am uh, mm -hmm. there. I know that she's more people uh, yeah. uh, there. On the other hand, I also know that um, you can only lead if people, I would say, will follow you, and they will not follow you if you are just there, the commander, like you said. Mm -hmm. uh, you also need to take them with you. You need to tell them also who you are why you believe in certain yep. uh, purposes or dreams uh, there. Um, so that's constantly something there. And I think coaching helps there as well. Eh? So I've had also coaches uh, for okay. most of my business life as well, because you know, uh, you need sometimes somebody also that uh, reflects uh, or where you can also talk to and where you can reflect. And yep. I think also I'm thankful for VTI here. I think also in the leadership team, there are quite some, I would say, people also that are really mentoring and coaching yep. uh, as well. And, and, and here or in previous companies, could, is there people that you could mention, important mentors that where you really learned from, that, that had faith in you, that helped you to develop as a leader? Yeah, I can give you the example. Uh, within, uh, within Heineken, when, we, when I started there, Freddie Heineken was still, I would say, uh, the, the big boss of the company. Mm -hmm. And I only had the pleasure to meet him sometimes, but also, uh, I would say, uh, the CEO the later on, Jean-Franc van Boksmeer. And uh, he was also very approachable, but very clear as well. Mm -hmm. Very clear also where the company wants to go. Very clear also what he would expect from you. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, and that was really a family culture. And if you look now at VTTI, I see some similarities there as well really having a charismatic leader there yeah. that really can explain, but also has a personal touch. Okay. Outside of, of, of the companies that you work for, are there people that you look up to that, um, I mean, global international figures that are inspiring uh, to you? Yeah, you know, I'm always a little bit uh, reluctant to say the things like Mandela or those kinds of people because I didn't know them uh, yeah. there. Eh? But I think mm -hmm. um, from a technology perspective, I'm really inspired uh, also if you look at Microsoft where Satya Nadella now, for example, uh, is Turn heading around the is company, amazing, eh? the third CIO there after Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates. 
I think Bill Gates already had a vision also that information would be very important also for every company, yeah. I would say, to thrive. I think Satya Nadella has written a, a good book about that, Hit Refresh, uh, which really explains also his background and why he's also very driven to make the company better. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's also something that uh, he's really believing also in uh, progressing uh, there. But like I said, in my life, uh, when I started with Inbezo, I had there Eckhart Vincent. Then when I went to Lotus Professional Services, I had there also several bosses where I would say there were examples leading by example, yep. uh, which I really, really liked uh, for okay. that. It's clear that you're driven in your work. Um, I understand that eh? you talk, already talked about your uh, your family and your wife and your children. So there's clear that that's very important uh, for you. What else is it that you do? What else is it that you're passionate about besides work and family? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, uh, Hendrik, for I'm passionate also about uh, digital. There. So one of the things uh, I'm also a lecturer at uh, a business school. Okay. Um, I'm teaching there also information management. I wrote a book also uh, for the students uh, okay. there because I didn't think that uh, the former book that we used, I would say, I wouldn't say was good enough, but it was really complex. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had some time. So uh, that was what I really liked. And so I'm still uh, guiding and helping also uh, students with their uh, dissertation, their thesis also uh, okay. to accomplish that. Uh, so that keeps me sharp. So mm -hmm. that keeps me sharp also with uh, working with younger people in different areas as that. And I see that still not as work, but something uh, as my passion uh, okay. as well. And what is it that you teach there? Also information management. So okay. it covers all aspects also. It covers data, it covers uh, security. And also how, how do you really drive business performance with, yeah. uh, with digital? And that's uh, for an international That's also the business then? school where I studied oh, yeah. uh, with as well. And then uh, they asked me six years ago to, uh, to teach there. So I do that four times a year for okay. uh, groups and sometimes also international groups. So a month ago, I had a group from uh, Zambia, Ghana, Kenya, for example. MBA students, and I really, really like that also. Passionate people that uh, really want to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's still, I would say, about the job. Eh? It's yeah. not only about content there. Uh, I really love to cycle as well. Okay. Uh, I must do that as well because I'm a little bit of Bourgogne as well. So <laughs> I like also some of the good food and uh, some good wine as well. So I need to uh, exercise uh, as well. But I understand you also cycle in the company here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VTI is really uh, a cycling company, so to wow. say. Mm -hmm. So uh, two months ago, we did uh, cycle a tour about 100 kilometers uh, there, raising money for a fund here in Rotterdam, also the Jets Foundation. Mm -hmm. So uh, we raised quite some money there. Um, but there you see all people, all VTI people that uh, love to cycle come together yep. and then spend the whole weekend there having a good barbecue. But it really comes back then also, Hendrik, to what I like. Being competitive, mm -hmm. so uh, you want to be the first on the mountain, but yeah, with my weight, uh, I'm going faster when it's flat than uh, going <laughs> into the down, hills. Or downhill is maybe your yeah. preferred uh, and, um, and I think uh, there are uh, people that are really like to share also, I would say, a similar hobby uh, there yep. as well. Okay, so cycling, teaching, yeah. running the business here or the IT in the business here. Back maybe a bit to uh, um, to your personality and the, 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 your core beliefs. Um, you said that you have, and I believe you, of course, two beautiful daughters. What is it? What are the values that you are passing on to your uh, to your family? What is the, What are the core values that you want them to live by? Yeah. So. Um 
I think it's all about, I would say, being true and transparent to yourself, so being authentic. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have a lot about authentic leadership, for example. But I cannot believe also that not as a, a digital leader here, also being a father also within your family, um, you just cannot keep up appearances. So you must be clear also what, I would say, what you expect. And yeah. I still expect that they, I would say, work hard at school, uh, that they can fail. They can fail uh, there. I don't mind that because yep. uh, they can learn uh, from that. Uh, but they they have to do their best. Eh? So they have to, I would say, uh, have a little bit of focus. And of course, they can play eh? because they are still children, uh, Henrik. Uh, but for me, it's also about teaching them uh, as well the values uh, here in the world that you can learn a lot. So I give you one example. Mm -hmm. My oldest one, she's uh, 13 years old. She just went for a language course last week uh, to Canterbury uh, in the UK cool. with a girlfriend. And of course, it was with a group of girls, mm -hmm. uh, but 13 years old, already exploring, I would say, other parts of the world. And then only can cherish that. Yeah. So I believe also this is really a global, global world with endless opportunities, yeah. a lot of threats, uh, but still, I would say, uh, just go out and explore. Yeah. Hans. How, what would you describe as being the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life? Yeah, in my personal life, uh, I think after my studies, uh, I already met my wife within uh, studies there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we, we got children a little bit later on in mm -hmm. our, our careers. Eh? Because first, I would say, we, we, we were really driven also yeah. by progressing in that part. And then at a certain moment in life, if you uh, have, uh, I would say, two children that are, I would say, a mirror of yourself, uh, mm -hmm. then... Eh? the one maybe a little bit more than the other, that really uh, gives you a more grounded uh, there as well, uh, Henrik. So I think for me, the most profound uh, thing was there, of course, uh, uh, the birth of your children, but still being there as a family together. Right? You see a lot of things happening also, uh, yeah. I would say everywhere, where there's a lot of uncertainty uh, going on as well. Um, and I think uh, for me, Seeing them being raised up uh, there as well, having their own challenges also, yep. uh, but also using a lot of digital technology within their, their education, for example. Yep. Um, I really like to be part of that. Uh, okay. Hans, you've shared with us your best thing, but what, how would you describe, and if you want to share, the worst thing, maybe one of the worst things that's ever happened to you on a personal level and, and, and what you learned from it? Yeah. I think, uh, Hendrik, um, you mentioned also 13 years working for Heineken. And at that moment in time, I think I also believed, like my father who was working for 30 years for IBM, uh, that it would be a lifelong career. And then yeah. at a certain moment, you come up with a tipping point uh, where things change. Um, and then suddenly also uh, you have to, I would say, a little bit reinvent yourself also. What do you want to do? What do you really uh, love about the work that you're doing mm -hmm. there? Uh, and that was certainly a moment where it took me several months also to really find out also what would I really like to do. Mm -hmm. And then I also found out uh, there uh, that working for 13 years very hard for one company, somebody sometimes also forget about maybe himself or also mm -hmm. uh, about the surroundings uh, there. Um, and then you suddenly, I would say, uh, being really on your own, you think in the beginning also to yep. find your new ways. And then also you see that you are really not on your own. Then you go. So that was a painful thing. Leaving Heineken after 13 years, yep. being very, very devoted to the company. Yep. 
and then understanding it's just an employer in the end. Yeah. <laughs> or it's maybe more than just an employer, but... Um... It's still more than an employer because uh, I always think also I'm still a champion for Heineken, which mm -hmm. I will be also for Walters Clue and also for VTTI because mm -hmm. I cherish also really the good things there as well. Yeah. Hans, my second favorite question of uh, these interviews is, could you share with us on a professional level, what was somewhere in the past one of your most brilliant failures? We all have success, but we all make our failures that we learn from. Which was your most brilliant failure and, uh, and what did you learn from it? Yeah. Well, I think um, I like the phrase also brilliant failures because I think I had many brilliant failures there as well because for me that's something that you learn mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Hendrik. But I think one of the things there was also when I, uh, you mentioned also the several companies I worked for and one of them was also when I went from Walters Kluwer also to uh, a more mid-sized company as well there. Mm -hmm. um, I think my beliefs were there as well coming from a big company that you, I would say, you know everything. You want to apply the same structures, the same way of thinking, mm -hmm. and you think also what worked there will work also in your uh, in your new, uh, I would say, habitat yep. as well. And then suddenly you see also that I would say you have also management and leadership there uh, that's not so much interested in a lot of things that you are really passionate about as well. Mm -hmm. And it's more about uh, performance uh, and uh, and other ways. Um, and for me, that was really a failure because there um, I didn't feel also that I could accomplish or I would say bring there to the table what I could bring. Mm -hmm. uh, and that made also then uh, at a certain moment also the decision also uh, to go further uh, mm -hmm. there. Uh, because I also believe if things do not work, uh, if you do not have, I would say, really the click uh, there, uh, then you must also look at yourself and then make a next step. Yeah. And I think that's also something for myself in my career also very important. Eh? When you are in the beginning there, yep. you're looking at a company that's alike maybe that the company that was there before. Mm -hmm. So I think what in Heineken you like also, you have a structure, you have all kinds of processes around you. Yep. And you see here within VTGI, we are in the building. I do not have a big team, communications team that's everybody helping. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, one lady that's, I would say, supporting that in a great way. Yep. But that's not a big, I would say, environment there. So learning from that failure is as well that uh, I would say things that work in the past will not always work in the future and you mm -hmm. have to adapt. Yeah. And for me, the adoption is really important. And so when you start in a new job, yeah. there's a, a number of things that you need to do, that yeah. you've learned that you need to do to yeah. be able to success. So could, yeah. you, could you summarize these? Yeah, so I think uh, maybe that's also the part of the advice. Uh, when I started here with VTGI, I really... It was not about, uh, I would say, a one-sided job interview. So mm -hmm. Hans, uh, where are you good at? I really also had good conversations here with the people from the board and also the CFO and the CEO. Also, what they would ask for me also uh, yeah. being the digital leader here, what were their beliefs? Did they also want to invest and have the budget also to do something with it? Do they really support also hiring new staff, uh, for example, invest in new technologies? Yeah. Because if all of those things are not present there, and you can't then you're not impact. being set up also yeah. for success. Yeah. And that's something uh, that is really important. Not that everything has to be arranged, but at least there has to be an appetite for change. Yeah. So what you're learning was, if I, if I may summarize is, if you're going into a new job, do your due diligence and make sure that you have the support, the means, the resources, 
and the vision and the strategy so that you're able to make the change that you hired for, uh, for to make. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be arranged. Eh? Some of the things cannot also, I would say, can be non-existing, for yeah. example, like your team or the organization. Yeah. But if there is a belief in the people also and yeah. the same drive, then I think the magic can happen. Yeah. Once you're now in your early 50s, yeah. so you've been around for almost 30 years in the business. Um, in the business, 30 years, in life, more than 50 years now. What is that you're most grateful for in your life? Um, well, I think the most grateful for me is that I'm still, I would say, able uh, to learn, but also to inspire every day also my team mm -hmm. uh, and find out new things. Yeah. Uh, and that's about, I would say, never stop learning there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not joking about that part, because for me, every day you find out something new and something that you uh, mm -hmm. can, uh, can learn uh, there. Uh, so I'm grateful also, I would say, of course, being in good health, uh, having your friends and your family still around there, yeah. but also um, really uh, appreciate also the environment where we're in. I talked to you about uh, the students, for example, mm -hmm. that I uh, had from uh, Kenya, Zambia. Um, those are countries that are non-existing on, I would say, the digital competitive index. Yeah. They're not there. And then you also appreciate, I would say, all the things that we, that we have also that enable you to do your work, uh, work from home, work anywhere that you want. Yeah. And you really appreciate those things as well. Uh, yeah, appreciate how lucky we are to be born and grown up here in the, in the lowlands. Absolutely. Right? Okay. absolutely. Hans, final question for today. And thank you for, uh, for your sharing your insights and, and your time and your hospitality here. Uh, these videos are being watched uh, not only by other CIOs and digital leaders, but also by young, ambitious people that want to follow in your footsteps and that want to become a top digital leader and a CIO. What is the advice that you would give to these young uh, professionals? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, there are many, uh, Hendrik, but I think there, uh, keep being ambitious. That's mm -hmm. really important. But um, do not, I would say, uh, forget that being ambitious also it takes sometimes small steps to progress mm -hmm. and I think especially if I see I would say some youngsters within my team sometimes they want to go too fast mm -hmm. they want to change too fast because I would say there's something new or there's another employer also reaching out to them and yeah. uh, maybe benefits are a little bit better so be patient as well be mm -hmm. patient and learn I think that you say also painful mistakes or learnings be sure that you also get enough experience in several areas and where you can fail. Because uh, being ambitious and making progress is also about sometimes learning the hard, uh, the hard way. So uh, it doesn't have to be easy. So I think my biggest advice is there, go out, learn, uh, be adaptive uh, also to your environment, be passionate and care about your people. Okay, and on that note, Hans, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your hospitality in the special new office that you're building. And, yeah. um, and um, let's go and have a beer. Yeah.